Now, last week I kicked off a new sermon series. We're going to be working through all the way through Easter called The Road to Easter. And as what we're looking at is we're looking at Jesus' last trip with his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. Once he arrives in Jerusalem, by the end of the week, he'll be crucified. He'll go through his trials. He'll be crucified. And on Sunday, the first day of the next week, he'll rise again from the dead. And we have a big celebration coming uh, for that. But on this road, uh, as he makes his way down, we talked about last week, he comes to the city of Jericho. Jericho is the last stop before he's going to spend the night, and then he's going to head to Bethany, which is just right outside the city of Jerusalem. And then the following day, he's going to do the triumphal entry into the city. So we are just in those final days of Jesus's public ministry before he hits Jerusalem. And then we have the Holy Week events that we uh, talk about each and every year. So now as he arrives in Jericho, He's been healing the sick, Uh, and one of the people he's healed, last week we talked about blind Bartimaeus, and Jesus heals blind Bartimaeus uh, as he comes into the city, and the crowd is whipped up into a frenzy. People are worshiping the Lord. Bartimaeus is kind of leading the worship, and then we come today to the text we're going to be looking at, which is the uh, Luke chapter 19. And we're going to work through verses 1 through 10 here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'll give you a little commentary, and we'll work our way towards uh, a couple of points in this message. So let's start off in Luke 19, uh, verse 1. And before I do that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you still speak to us today through your word. Thank you that you gave us the Holy Spirit to help teach us and instruct us. And thank you that your word, God, it transforms us, it changes us. It's your way um, primarily in how you speak to us. So I thank you for this gift, and I pray we would make much of it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 19 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Now, I'm going to stop here, and I want to tell you, when I was studying for this message, that in the original Greek language that Luke wrote his gospel in, he's trying to tell us something important here. This word, chief tax collector, is really clear, strong language. He's telling us that Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector. He's telling us that Zacchaeus is actually a a chief, a head at the top of the tax collection system. He's a leader. He's a high-ranking official in the Roman system of collecting taxes. And Luke wants us to also know this other little detail. Luke wants us to know that Zacchaeus is an ultra-rich man. He's not just rich. He takes the time right in setting the scene to say Zacchaeus is, as English translates here, very rich. Now, tax collectors in this culture were really the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. They were the most reviled members of the first century Jewish society. Now, just to say real quick, I don't think tax collector is the most popular job even still to this day. But back then, it was much, much worse because not only were tax collectors taxing you on your uh, goods, on your income, they were also taxing you and giving it 
to an occupying force that was there in your community. The tax collectors worked for the Roman oppressors. And it gets worse. The right to collect taxes was actually bid on in an auction. These tax collectors had paid money for the right to collect taxes on their own neighbors. Now, the reason the Romans came up with this ingenious uh, system was that they believed that members of a community knew better the true sources of income for each individual than the outside Roman government knew. So by having your neighbor collect taxes on you, they could be sure to get the full amount. There was no cheating the system by having members of the community who really knew where the money came from. And the system was terrible. The Romans would tell the tax collector, this is how much money we need from you. But then the tax collector got to decide the rate in which he taxed each person. He got to set the rate. And now he got a Roman garrison of soldiers to enforce his setting of that rate. So now a group of Roman soldiers is working on behalf of a tax collector. The tax collector decides, you owe me this much. And if you don't pay, the Roman soldiers are coming to your house. You're going to be beaten, you're going to be flogged, and you may be arrested and thrown into jail. This is what the tax collectors represented. And so it was an incredibly hated group of people. In fact, they were excluded from their society. We have a lot of other writings outside of Scripture that writes about tax collectors. One of them is, a, is called the Babylonian Talmud. It was a first century uh, group of writings from the rabbis of the day, and they actually placed tax collectors at one tier lower lower than murderers and robbers. Other rabbis in their teaching said that, that tax collectors were disqualified from giving eyewitness testimony in court because they were so unreliable. Not only were they a disgrace to themselves, the rabbis taught that they disgraced their whole family and an entire family would be put out of the synagogue and shunned from society because of the choices of just one member of the family. This is how hated this class of people were. They were subhuman, a traitor, the worst of the worst. Verse 3, after the introduction, Luke goes on to tell us, about this rich man. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now, there's some very strange details that are entered into the story here after the introduction that Luke gives us of to Zacchaeus. We're told that this extremely high-ranking, ultra-rich, vertically-challenged man is now running down the street and climbing trees. This is not the kind of behavior that you would expect after the introduction. In the East, it was highly unusual for a man, a, a head of a household, to be seen running. It's one of the reasons why when the father runs out to the prodigal son in the story, it's such a radical detail. It was abnormal for them to run, especially a wealthy government official. Zacchaeus is running down the street like a little boy following a parade, and he's even climbing trees. Now, why does he climb a tree? Because he's a wee little man as he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. So if you didn't 
grow up in church, I'm sorry. We have some weird stuff that we do, um, but it's a song we learn when we're kids. He, he wanted to see Jesus, and what a sight this must have been. Think about it. As far as riches go, Zacchaeus is the ultra-rich of his day. He's used to being carried around by servants or riding in chariots accompanied by Roman soldiers, and now here he is running down the street and climbing a tree. By the way, the tree that's right outside the door here, the back of the church, as you pull out the driveway, the large tree, that's a sycamore tree. If you want to see what a sycamore tree looks like, that's a sycamore fig tree. We, so just like the one in the story. You can see one right outside on your way out today. So here Zacchaeus climbs this tree. Now I want you to imagine if one of the ultra-rich in our society did this today. Imagine you're in a crowd and there's all these people around and you look up and you see Elon Musk running down the street, climbing up a tree, just trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, this almost seems a little presumptuous by Jesus. Right? He's, hey, tax collector up in the tree whom I've never met before. I'm inviting myself over to your house for dinner. Oh, and by the way, I'm bringing all my disciples with us and we're probably going to stay the night. See, but we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus has this ability to look right into people's heart and see what's going on inside of them. Now, I suspect that this is happening for some of you in this room today. You never thought you would be here but here you are. And maybe you're still trying to hide out in the crowd and maybe just get a glimpse of Jesus. And my prayer for you today is that you would hear Jesus come to your hiding spot and say, hey, you, I see you. I'm looking at you. Verse 6 says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gone to, the, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Now, <clears throat> in those days, and even still today, eating with someone, going to their house to share a meal and share their roof, is a real sign of intimate fellowship. And this isn't the first time Jesus has done this. It's not even the first time Jesus has gone to dinner with tax collectors. Matthew 9, 10 and 11 says this. Later, Matthew, now just by the way, let's pull back. Matthew was a tax collector who Jesus called to become one of his 12 disciples and who wrote the gospel that I'm currently reading from, a tax collector. He, go, he says, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to come home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Why is Jesus hanging out with these terrible, sinful people? Why is he sharing his table? Why is he sleeping under the same roof as rotten scum like this? And remember, friends, there's an important detail here. Jesus chooses to eat with Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus cleans up his life. See, Zacchaeus, 
at the moment of invitation, is still a cheating, practicing tax collector. When Jesus made arrangements to come to his house, Zacchaeus had not yet changed. This Jesus, who they just witnessed heal a blind man, who the crowd is whipped into a frenzy for, now is watching Jesus go with Zacchaeus, and they're thinking, what in the world is he doing? You see, because they would have thought, if Jesus really was a holy person, if he really was a representative of God, he would have nothing to do with people like Zacchaeus. Maybe, maybe, if he reprimanded Zacchaeus publicly, and Zacchaeus changed and gave away all of his money and had years of life transformation, maybe then Jesus would come and be a guest in his house. But that's not what happens here. See, the scandalous truth that is the heart of the gospel is salvation comes to your house before you change. Salvation is what brings change. See, every other religion in this world would say to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, if you want to find God, if you want to do what's right, you've got to clean up your life. You've got to start living honestly. You've got to give away that money. You've got to go do good things. And then after you've done good, maybe you can find repentance. Maybe you can find a second chance. Maybe you'll find salvation. But Jesus shows up and he reverses the order. Salvation invites itself over to dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And all he has to do is receive it. And in response, we see the change. And boy, did Zacchaeus change. Look at verse 8. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Now, did you notice? I never skipped any verses. There was no verse between 7 and 8. There were no commands from Jesus, no belittling, no shame, no how could you, no explain yourself, just that he experienced the grace of of God, and it brought about a complete transformation in Zacchaeus' life. He stood up on his own and voluntarily said, I'm going to repay what I've stolen fourfold. I'm going to give away half to the poor. Now, Jewish law actually specifically talks about what to do if you steal from someone. And Zacchaeus goes beyond the requirement of the law, and he repays four times the value. No one required him to do that, but he volunteered it. And the part about giving 50% away, you'll find that nowhere in the law. That came out of his own heart. And it was with joy. It sprung forth with joy. You see, in the Greek language, there's a nuance that we might miss. You see, there's an exclamation point at the end of the statement. That exclamation point is there because in the Greek, he's trying to, they're trying to tell us that this was with joy. This was with excitement. That this wasn't something begrudgingly. Zacchaeus with joy proclaimed, I'm going to do this. I want to give it away. You see, it's not just Zacchaeus' behavior that's changed. He's changed. See, what the Jewish law had been utterly unable to compel, the grace of Jesus produced in Zacchaeus in an instant. See, the law tells us what we should do, what we ought to do. But Jesus changes us and transforms us so that we want to do it and we're able to do it. To quote Martin Luther, the reformer, he said, The law says do, but it's never done. 
The gospel says believe, rejoice, because it's already done. Verse 9, Jesus responds, salvation has come to his home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Just imagine these words in Zacchaeus's ear. He's a traitor, remember? He's a traitor to his people. He's a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. See, Zacchaeus is such a wonderful example of how we find Jesus, or better yet, how we are found by Jesus. And what happens to us as a result of this uh, being found by Jesus? And so, if you're a note taker, I've just got two uh, points, two questions really for us to consider in our message today. And the first one is this, number one, what brought about the change in Zacchaeus? What was it that brought about this transformation and change in Zacchaeus? Because see, Zacchaeus' awakening actually starts before we're introduced to Zacchaeus in Scripture. Maybe he had heard that a fellow tax collector, Matthew, was one of Jesus' closest followers. Maybe he had heard that Matthew left everything behind, locked up his booth, and followed Jesus. Maybe he'd heard stories about how Jesus was eating with notorious sinners, including tax collectors. Maybe it was that he had heard about the resurrection of, of um, <clears throat> Lazarus just up the road. We don't know why, but all we know is something had impacted Zacchaeus in a mighty way because he begins to do things that you wouldn't expect him to do. Think about it. Something drove Zacchaeus to try to press through a crowd of people that hated him. Something uh, drove Zacchaeus to throw his dignity aside and run down the road and climb that tree. Think about Zacchaeus. He had achieved everything that he could achieve. As far as a, a Jewish a, a son of Abraham went, he was the richest in his society. There was nobody that had more than what he had. There was no way he could spend all of the wealth that he had accumulated, and still he felt like something was missing. But that's the way it works, friends. Proverbs 13.25 tells us this. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. The message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson puts it like this, an appetite for good brings much satisfaction, but the belly of the wicked always wants more. Pascal, the famous French mathematician and physicist, famously observed, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God, the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ. See, God had designed from the beginning of time Zacchaeus to have and want and desire a relationship with him. And nothing else that Zacchaeus was able to accomplish in this world was ever going to satisfy the longing that God had placed in Zacchaeus' heart. Here's another quote from another uh, famous uh, person in history, Freddie Mercury, the front man of the rock band Queen. He said it like this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me the world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing that we all need, 
a loving and ongoing relationship. See, Zacchaeus had lived his whole life under the spell and the enchantment of money. But then when he met Jesus, that spell was broken over him because he found in Jesus something tangibly more valuable than all the wealth and money he had accumulated. See, Jesus was actually sent by God on a rescue mission. He was sent from heaven to search out and seek out the lost like Zacchaeus. This is what Jesus just told Zacchaeus, his his mission. Jesus just gave us one of his key mission statements. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Zacchaeus couldn't do anything to save himself. He couldn't do anything to rescue himself. But friends, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus isn't waiting for us to get our acts together. He's not waiting for you and I to clean up our life. He's not making for you and I to look more and become more presentable. He's not waiting for you to become more righteous. In fact, when Jesus called Matthew, the other tax collector, the Pharisees complained, and Jesus said this. It makes it crystal clear. Luke 5, 32. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. See, Jesus came for sinners, not for people who think that they are righteous. And that's good news for you and I. Why? Romans 3, 9 through 12. Well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jew or Gentile, are under the power of sin. As scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise, not One is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. If it was up to us to become righteous and good, friends, the scripture is clear. That is not something we can do. Zacchaeus was helpless to save himself. And God had created Zacchaeus with this desire for a relationship with his creator. And it wasn't because of what Zacchaeus could accomplish for him. It wasn't because that Zacchaeus was going to give all this money back. It was because God loved him and wanted him to be part of his family. See, it was the amazing grace of Jesus that could save a wretch like Zacchaeus or a wretch like me. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it. You see, it was a free gift given to Zacchaeus and to anyone else who will receive it. The wonderful grace of Jesus sought him out, and once Zacchaeus encountered it, everything in his life changed. Which leads us to our second question. Number two. What was the evidence of Zacchaeus' change? What was the evidence of the change? Well, there's two things I want to talk about. The first one is a yearning for righteousness. And the second one we're going to talk about is an impulse for generosity. So first, Zacchaeus had this immediate yearning for righteousness. Or you could say an immediate yearning for transformation or for justice or for godliness. He immediately began to pivot away from himself and towards God. 
The things that once he held so precious and dear, the things that once he was willing to sacrifice not only his own reputation for, but the reputation of his entire family, all of those things no longer controlled him. He was now a new man. And as a new man, he had this pressing desire to make things right, to pursue righteousness. So far as we can tell, this wasn't mandated by Jesus for him to do this. Jesus didn't sit down and say, okay, now that you've decided to follow me, here's the rules. Sometimes people think that we can come to Jesus and we can still stay the same. We can pray a prayer of salvation like a get-out-of-hell-free card and then move on with our life but remain otherwise unchanged. But friends, encounters with Jesus should change everything. Galatians 2.20 puts it like this. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the first sign of meeting Jesus is transformation, is a new life. The Bible says we are made into something brand new. What we once were no longer is. 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. Friends, this is essential understanding of our new life in Christ because of the grace of God. God changes us from what we were to something new. Zacchaeus went from who he had been to something totally different. And in an instant, you begin to see his draw to follow Jesus. And here's the second thing that we see. Zacchaeus suddenly has this impulse to generosity. Now, as I noted, Zacchaeus went beyond just paying the requirements of the law. He went on to pay back four times to give away 50% of all of his wealth to the poor. Why did he do this? Because he was motivated by grace. It was with excitement. It was with joy that he announced this desire. You know, I was reading this week about pilots when they fly a plane through clouds or through fog. And one of the things when you're flying through clouds or fog, you have to learn to rely on your instrument panel, not on your gut and not on what you see. You have to rely on the instruments because you may feel like you're flying right side up and you may actually be upside down. And you may feel like you're moving up, but you may be moving down. So you need to rely on your instruments. But one of the most reliable indicator lights on your spiritual dashboard is what happens in your heart when we talk about money? What happens when we talk about generosity? Because see, if you've been impacted by grace, my belief and what I believe scripture is clear about is that should motivate us to this impulse of generosity. We see it in David's life so clearly. Listen to what he said in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. This is David's prayer. He says, but who am I? Who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you gave, what you first gave us. 
You see, David could see that everything that he had in his life came from God in the first place. And when we truly experience the unmerited grace of God, it's one of the changes that we should see in our flesh, in our miserly, stingy, natural state. We should see this transformation into living a life of generosity. Now, let me make sure we are crystal clear. Zacchaeus was not saved because he promised to give the money back to the poor. He was saved because he responded by faith to Jesus' invitation. Then and only then, after trusting Jesus as his Savior, was he enabled by this life-giving connection to Jesus to begin to bear fruit. Remember Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing? But if we remain in the vine, if we remain connected, we can bear much fruit. And as Zacchaeus connected himself into this relationship, as he was grafted into Jesus, he began to bear fruit. And that fruit was evidence that indeed his faith was genuine. So let's deal with this. James 2, 14 through 18. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, and then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and other people have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You see, Zacchaeus was not saved because of his good works. But his good works were the byproduct of the fact that he now had a genuine connection to Jesus. He had become a new man. He had become a new creation. He wasn't what he used to be. And his old life and the fruit of his old life was now being transformed to the fruit of following Jesus, his new master. As Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24 through 26, no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but their heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they are? Now skip down with me to verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Friends, this is kingdom living that Jesus is describing. This is what the power of the gospel enables us to do. <clears throat> that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, 
We are enabled to live life differently than the world around us lives. We are invited into his kingdom instead of our kingdom. Our kingdom, the rat race, the hamster wheel, the dog eat dog, second place is first loser world system that mankind has created. Jesus invites us out of that and into his kingdom. Friends, we are called to live differently than the world around us. We are called and invited into new life and new kingdom living. But why is this topic of money and generosity so off limits even for us as believers? Why is this sacred cow something that we are unwilling to examine our hearts when Jesus spends so much time talking about it? Friends, this is a huge issue for us to really be willing to examine our hearts. Listen to what Paul told his apprentice Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-10. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and enough clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and they're trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrow. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I want to do a heart check with us right now. At the end of this story, this is an important question for you to consider. At the end of this story, was Zacchaeus more or less wealthy? At the end of our story, was Zacchaeus more or less wealthy? Do we actually believe that? That he had become truly, unfathomably wealthier than he was before he met Jesus. You see, Proverbs 11, 24 through 25 says it like this. Give freely and become more wealthy. Wait, that's backwards. Let's read it again. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Jesus didn't force or pressure Zacchaeus into giving. It was not a prerequisite for his salvation. And it's not a prerequisite for your salvation either. It's the fruit of it. You see, Zacchaeus had been transformed. And so Zacchaeus doesn't come into this reluctantly. He comes with great joy. Just think about how different this is than the rich young ruler who just before this story on the road to Jericho came to Jesus and said, what must I do to follow you? And Jesus tells him, well, go and sell everything. He says, no, that's a price too big for me. Now look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't come with any questions like, what must I do? He just says, Jesus, 
out of this abundance of grace I've experienced, I want to do this. Here's what I have. I want to give it to the poor. I want to pay back anything that I've done wrong. Zacchaeus is giving with joy. It's exuberant. And friends, 2 Corinthians 9, 7-8, Paul tells us the same thing. He says this, Each of you must decide in your own heart what you, how much you are to give. And don't give reluctantly. And don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now listen to this promise, friends. Write it down on a sticky note today. Take it home with you. Put it in your computer where you pay your bills. Put it in your checkbook if you still write a check for your tithe. Put it wherever you need a reminder today. Verse 8, and God will generously provide all that you need then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, following Jesus, encountering the grace of God, changes us, friends. Has your experience of encountering Jesus produced in you change? Do you have a hunger and a thirst in you for righteousness, to following Jesus, to hearing and obeying his words? Do you have in you a desire to be a blessing? Do you have in you a desire for generosity? And friends, I'll tell you, if you're struggling here, then I think you need to encounter Jesus again fresh today. Because the wonderful grace of Jesus changes everything. Everything we have comes from him. He's our source. He's our supply. We, like Zacchaeus, were uh, deserving of wrath. We, like Zacchaeus, were deserving of death. But Jesus came down the road looking for you. He called you out of your shame. He called you out of that tree. And friends, in a couple of chapters, a radical truth is Jesus is going to climb up in a tree looking for Zacchaeus. Except Jesus is going to climb into a tree not looking to see and get a glimpse of Jesus. He's going to climb into a tree and be nailed to that tree and take the full weight of the punishment that Zacchaeus deserved. All the shame, all the wrath poured out not on Zacchaeus, but on Jesus. So that Zacchaeus could have a brand new life. And so that you can have a brand new life. So here's what I want to do close our service. I want to sing a few songs together. I want us to worship. I want us just to come into this presence of God. I want you to see that Jesus is coming down the road and he's on a mission for you today. He wants you to encounter him today. He's seeking you out fresh today. He wants to bring about transformation in your life and in your family. He wants to see you made brand new. He wants to see everything that you're holding on to of this world's kingdom stripped away so that the blessing and benefit of his kingdom can come into your life. 